and welcome to Misinformation, trivia podcasts for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Did you have a what? I, I am still so thrilled that we had a lovely guest star on our last episode yes. last week. That was so was nice. so delightful. Andrew is a sweet pea, and I think it's because he's Canadian. Ah, yes. Yeah. His polite and accommodating manner is so Canadian of him. <laughs> now, we kind of, um, we met Andrew at, when we were at Geek Bowl mm-hmm. last year, but yes. then also, again, we ran into him when we were in Las Vegas taping Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah. <laughs> small world. Trivia yeah. is a small world. Mm-hmm. But um, that's actually a, kind of a perfect segue into my topic oh. for this week. Um, and this will be the last time that I talk about this because I know Lauren's sick of hearing about it, and et cetera. Um, but if you had the chance to watch my episodes of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, um, I struggled a little bit with what was my $30,000 question. Um, and that has kind of inspired my topic this week. Oh, okay. So the question was, located at the site of their Missouri childhood home in 1943, who became the first African-American to have a National Park Service monument named after them? And the answer choices were Frederick Douglass, W.E.B. Dubois, Harriet Tubman, and George Washington Carver. And you were in the audience. So I talked it out a little bit more than what the episode showed. But I was like convinced that George Washington Carver was not yet dead at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I was like just super convinced. I was like, he wouldn't have a monument named for him because he's still alive. Yeah. Um, And ultimately that turned out to be the answer. I I got it right. I pulled it off. Thanks, audience She won $50,000. But I realized that this really made me want to learn more about this fella because he's a very important figure in Mm -hmm. um, science and food and all sorts of great topics that we know and love today. Mm -hmm. Um, So this week is all about George Washington Carver. Okay. Do you, what do you know about George Washington Carver? I know uh, all I remember from of George Washington Carver is the peanut thing. Great. And also um, Clone High, where the clone of George Washington Carver has a tiny peanut man, but he's sideways uh-huh. so that he does, so it's not proprietary yeah. to Mr. Peanut yeah. of planners. So he's sideways and he's got a top hat and a monocle and little legs. <laughs> and, and he's very cute. Oh, um, good. And he's that's got a little a, high voice. But that's yeah. a great basis. <laughs> All right. So the man we know as Dr. George Washington Carver was born into slavery during the early to mid 1860s in Diamond Grove, Missouri. A German-American immigrant farmer named Moses Carver had previously purchased Mary and Giles, who were two enslaved persons, from another man in 1855. Um, Hypocrisy alert here. Uh, Reportedly, Moses Carver was against slavery, but he needed help with his 240-acre farm. Also, when you said previously purchased and then you said a woman's name and her son, that that uh, set off something weird inside yeah. me. Yeah. That's should that phrase should never be. Yeah. Just as an FYI. So Mary and Giles were a couple. Yes. Um, so Mary and Giles had already had three daughters and another son um, when Mary was pregnant again. But Giles was killed before the son was born. Um, he was in an accident while hauling wood to town on an ox wagon. Um, so then George was born, um, had, you know, three sisters and a brother and a mother. Mm-hmm. 
living on a plantation. Um, when George was an infant, Confederate raiders entered the Carver's Missouri farm and abducted Mary, her infant son, George, and one of his sisters. Oh my God. A neighbor hired by Moses Carver searched long and hard and eventually recovered George, but Mary and the little girl were lost. <gasps> so in his own words, um, in 1897, when he was um, in his 30s, um, George wrote, my sister, mother, and myself were cuckuckled and sold in Arkansas, though it might have been actually Kentucky. And there are now so many conflicting reports concerning them that I dare not say if they are dead or alive. Oh. Mr. Carver, the gentleman who owned my mother, sent a man for us, but only I was brought back nearly dead with whooping cough with the report that mother and sister was dead. Although some say they saw them afterward going north with the soldiers. Oh my God. That's <sighs> terrible. Could you even imagine? Like you don't know where the rest of your family yeah. ever, ever went. Yep. That's terrible. So when the civil war ended in 1865 and slavery was abolished, um, the Carvers actually adopted George and his brother, James, um, Susan Carver, Moses's wife taught George to read and also how to cook, embroider, do laundry and garden. Oh, wow. Yeah. As he got older, she encouraged him to learn all that he could. Um, local schools wouldn't accept black students, but George was allowed to go eight miles away into the nearby town of Neosho. And around this time, the boy who had been known all his life as Carver's George started calling himself George Carver instead. Oh, okay. All right. I see that. Okay. Uh, while going to school away from home, he was taken in by a childless African-American couple named Andrew and Mariah Watkins. Um, they gave him a roof over his head in exchange for help with household chores and from mariah george learned a lot about medicinal herbs which would help him later in life um, as a teenager he began traveling from classroom to classroom exploring new subjects and eventually graduating from high school great great um, so in george's words he said from a child i had had an inordinate desire for knowledge and especially music painting flowers and the sciences algebra being one of my favorite studies Day after day, I spent in the woods alone in order to collect my floral beauties and put them in my little garden I had hidden in brush not far from the house. And many are the tears I have shed because I would break the roots or flower off of some of my pets while removing them from the ground. And strange to say, all sorts of vegetation seemed to thrive under my touch until I was styled the plant doctor. And plants from all over the country would be brought to me for my treatment. So apparently local farmers came to him for advice on like how to improve the health of their gardens, fields, and orchards. Wow. Um, so Carver learned about natural pesticides, fungicides, and soil conditioners. You know, like typical teenage yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so George's health had always been bad, and the family doctor told the Carvers that he would never live to see adulthood. Wow. Like, he had, yeah, he had whooping cough. He was really frail. He was usually like pretty sick mm. and... You know, Bad big, big brain in yeah. his head. Um, when his health improved, he actually traveled to Kansas for school. So that's also where he learned Greek, Latin, shorthand, and typewriting. Oh, my God. Um, George graduated from Minneapolis High School in Minneapolis, Kansas in 1880. So he was going to go work as a stenographer and typewriter in a telegraph office. But his insatiable thirst for knowledge set him on the path to college. Get it, George. Problem was... Midwest colleges in the 19th century were about as reluctant as primary schools to enroll black students. Mm. So George first applied to Highland Presbyterian College in Kansas, and the college was impressed by George's application essay. They granted him a full scholarship. Oh, good. But when he arrived at the school, he was turned away because they hadn't realized he was black. Oh. <sighs> that... How do you justify that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, wow, what a great application. Like, we're we're going to be so lucky to have a student like this. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. This is going to be so great. Oh, no. Never mind. Never mind. Like, what? Yeah. What's the drawback to that? You know what I mean? I, I guess it's just, this is my 21st century eyes. Yes. But it just seems like, 
completely and wholly unnecessary and right. like without reason. Right. Yeah. But things pick up for George. Good. Um, so he decided to create his own research facility instead. Wow. Um, so he homesteaded a claim and started collecting geological samples, conducting botany experiments and studying fine art all on his own. Oh, he's, what a he's so many man. interests. Um, Carver's intelligence and accomplishments were undeniable. And in the late 1880s, with the encouragement of another friendly couple, the Millhollands of Winterset, Iowa, George was admitted to Simpson College in Iowa to study art and music. Um, his beautiful drawings of plants prompted a teacher to recommend him to the Iowa State Agricultural College. And the next year, Carver became Iowa State's first black student. Wow. Um, Carver thrived in academia, and he completed his bachelor's degree with the thesis, Plants as Modified by Man, in 1894. Um, so thrilled by the young scientist potential, his advisors pushed him to continue, and Carver eventually earned his master's degree after studying plant pathology and mycology. He established his reputation as a leading botanist while teaching there at his alma mater. Word of Carver's brilliance and creativity spread. Booker T. Washington, founder of the Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute, now known as Tuskegee University, personally invited Carter to lead its agricultural department in 1896. Wow. Washington was so determined to snag Carver's mind for his school that he offered a lab, a high salary, and a two-room apartment, one for him and one for his plant specimens. Oh. <laughs> I love him. He just loves plants so much. <laughs> But man, what a great deal. Yeah. Could you imagine? I mean, tenure track is pretty good, but you get housing too? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm coming. So this didn't go over too well with the other faculty members because they had to share rooms. Oh, so it was no. like, <laughs> you get half of a room and then this new guy gets this two. This new guy comes in. He gets two rooms and a lab. Um, but Washington believed that the perks were justified by Carver's accomplishments and degree from a university that didn't usually accept African-Americans. Yeah. So Booker T. Washington was so influential to George that he eventually added Washington's last name to his own name so that he was officially known as George Washington Carver. What? I had no idea. I had no idea I about that. I thought this was a case where like, you know, how people take a famous person's name and make it. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I'm an Abraham admirer. Abraham Lincoln Jones or something exactly, like yes. that. I'm an admirer of this historical figure. Yeah. What? Yes. That's amazing. Nothing to do with George Washington. Did we talk about Booker T. Washington's middle name? We did. Okay, yes. Because you knew it. Yes, because it's Taglia Farrell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I am related to Booker T. Washington. No, Don't. that's not true. <laughs> Don't, sorry. No, I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to make that claim. But it is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So they were good. They were good friends. They were good buddies. Yeah. Uh, Carver flourished at Tuskegee. He developed techniques to improve soils depleted by repeated plantings of cotton. And together with other agricultural experts, he urged farmers to restore nitrogen to their soils by practicing systematic crop rotation. I know so about So that this. was, yeah, great. So that was alternating cotton crops with plantings of sweet potatoes or legumes such as peanuts, soybeans, and cow peas which I don't know what a cow pea is. I don't but know, assuming you feed it to cows. So these crops restored nitrogen to the soil and were also great for human consumption. Um, also around this time, like the bull weevil was destroying cotton oh, crops. Yeah, so yeah. they had to like figure out something to do that was like alternate, mm -hmm. you know, livelihood to, to dealing with cotton. So Carver also designed a mobile classroom to take education out to the farmers. Um, he called it a Jessup wagon after the New York financier and philanthropist Morris Ketchum, Jessup, who provided funding to support the program. Oh, okay. Um, so Carver never lost sight of what mattered to him most. Um, he wanted to use his mind to help those in need. Um, he published a long series of easy-to-read bulletins for farmers, providing tips to maximize their yields and creative uses for their crops. So oh my gosh. he's like, he's helping people. He's fixing, he's fixing economies. He's, he's fixing agriculture. Crops. 
oh man, this was a great time to be a farmer. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause you're learning like new stuff that's going to vastly improve your output almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so farmers loved the high yields of cotton they sure. were now getting from his crop rotation technique. Um, but the method also had an unattended consequence. There was a surplus of peanuts and other non-cotton products. Uh-oh. So Carver set to work on finding alternative uses for these products. <laughs> for example, he invented numerous products from sweet potatoes, including edible products like flour and vinegar and non-food items like um, dyes, paints, and writing ink. Mm. And in his tenure at Tuskegee, Carver would invent more than 300 uses for peanuts alone wow okay so let's talk about peanuts let's Ready? talk about peanuts i love peanuts. if you're allergic take your shot yeah now get that get your epi pen this is an all peanut <laughs> next segment <laughs> an all peanut segment so grab yep. your epi pen and yeah buckle in so according to yes the national peanut board what big <laughs> nut big, <laughs> big nut I didn't know they had a lobbying. It goes all this goes all the way to the top. <laughs> According to Big Nut, yeah. the peanut plant probably originated in Peru or Brazil in South America. And people in South America made pottery in the shape of peanuts or decorated jars with peanuts as far back as 3,500 years ago. Holy cow. And as early as 1500 BC, the um, native of Peru used peanuts as sacrificial offerings and entombed them with their mummies to aid in the spirit life. Wow. And tribes in central Brazil also ground peanuts with maize to make a drink. All right. A very yeah. tasty peanut corn drink. You know what? I, a I peanut try corn it. smoothie, if you will. <laughs> I bet it's very filling. Oh, sure. Lots of nutrients. Protein. Protein. Yes. Out the wazoo. <laughs> so European explorers first discovered peanuts in Brazil. Um, peanuts were grown as far north as Mexico, where the Spanish began their exploration of the New World. These explorers took peanuts back to Spain, and from there, traders and explorers spread them to Asia and Africa. Um, enslaved persons from Africa were actually the first people to introduce peanuts to um, what it was, what became the United States, beginning in the 1700s. Oh, okay. So records show it wasn't actually until the early 1800s that peanuts were grown as a commercial crop in the U.S. So they were first grown in Virginia and used mainly for oil, food, and as a cocoa substitute. Um, and at this time, peanuts were regarded as a food for livestock and the poor and were considered difficult to grow and harvest. Mm -hmm. Um, peanut production steadily grew the first half of the 19th century, and peanuts became prominent after the Civil War when Union soldiers found that they liked them and took them home. So both armies subsisted on this food high in protein. Yeah. Um, their popularity grew in the late 19th century when our man, P.T. Barnum, oh, yeah. and his circus wagons traveled across the country, and vendors called hot roasted peanuts to the crowd. Soon street vendors began selling roasted peanuts from carts, and peanuts also became popular at baseball game oh yeah buy me some peanuts and cracker jack so while peanut production rose during this time peanuts were still harvested by hand which meant that there were like stems and trash and like stuff like yeah. that in the peanuts too so there was a poor quality and a lack of uniformity that kept down the demand for peanuts okay sure, yeah. but around 1900 labor saving equipment was invented for planting cultivating harvesting and picking peanuts from the plants as well as for shelling and cleaning the kernels so with these significant mechanical aids demands for peanuts grew rapidly especially for peanut oil uh, roasted and salted nuts and peanut butter and candy yeah hell yeah so in the early 1900s, peanuts became a significant agricultural crop when the boll weevil threatened the South's co cotton crop. Sure. And following the suggestions of noted scientist Dr. George Washington Carver, peanuts served as an effective commercial crop and for a time rivaled the position of cotton in the South. In 1916, Carver published, 
How to grow the peanut and 105 ways of preparing it for human consumption. That's so great. It's so cute. It's like, this is, uh, you know, like those... Um, uh, when people have the zucchini all the time, you know, you <laughs> yeah. get, you get a bumper crop of zucchini and yeah. you're like, I have this what six and a half foot zucchini. Mm-hmm. How do I cook it? All those like 75,000 ways to cook yeah. a zucchini. Yep. Yeah. Well, this is the OG. 105 ways to prepare peanuts for human consumption. So the undeniable deliciousness of peanut butter, Mm. popularized a few years later, cemented the peanut as an American ingredient. Um, Ironically, what we think of as Carver's best known creation actually wasn't his. So people kind of of tend to associate peanut butter with him specifically. But um, uh, what we know is that ancient cultures in South America ground up peanuts into a type of paste. Um, and modern peanut butter can be traced to three inventors. Marcellus Gilmore Edson, who patented peanut paste. Uh, John Harvey Kellogg of cereal fame, oh who created God. a peanut butter making process. Okay. And also Ambrose Straub, who produced a peanut butter making machine. Um, peanut butter was first introduced at the St. Louis's World Fair in 1904. Um and but Carver's efforts did help popularize peanut butter, though he never laid, you know, he never claimed that yeah, he invented exactly. it. But really, like that was a big thing to come out of all of his his help with the South. Uh, Kellogg should be somebody that one of us Oof. do in the future because that guy was out of his mind. <laughs> we'll do the Kellogg's and the Grams like together. Oh, no, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll Ruin c- your breakfast. Call them serial killers or something. Serial <laughs> men. That's great. Uh, finally, today, peanuts are the 12th most valuable cash crop grown in the U.S. with wow. a farm value of over 1 billion U.S. dollars. Holy cow. According to the American Peanut Council. <laughs> big peanut. Big nut. <laughs> peanuts, peanut butter, and peanut candy are some of the most popular products in the U.S. And Americans eat more than six pounds of peanut products each year worth more than $2 billion at the retail level. And I would argue I eat more than six pounds of peanut products I was products just about to say that. Chocolate and peanut butter is my Ugh. top favorite chocolate plus something else Absolutely. combo. Number two for me is caramel, mm. chocolate and caramel. But chocolate and peanut butter, if I see a Reese's, especially the Ugh. eggs, Ugh. Reese's peanut butter Forget egg. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> And you know what? We're not sponsored by them. We just enjoy the product. Oh, absolutely. It's always funny, too. I know we've talked about this before, but like Great British Bake Off, when especially in the earlier seasons yeah. when people were like, um, oh, yeah, you have to make a fancy cake for us. And people are like, mine is going to be passion fruit blackberry and mine is going to be gooseberry rhubarb and someone's like mine's going to be peanut butter and chocolate and the judges are like mm, I'm I don't not know about sure that about that Mary and they're like, like <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like no it's very popular in the, in the states it's very popular in America mm. and they're like mm, <laughs> no and then inevitably inevitably Paul tastes it he rolls it around in his mouth and he stares at them with his icy blue eyes and then he goes that's amazing <laughs> Because it is. Because it's the best flavor combo. Co-signed. <laughs> I knew you'd agree with me. Yes. <laughs> also, I don't know how many times I have, <laughs> you and I have like planned to go somewhere and you text me with, let me eat a spoonful of peanut butter and I'll be right out. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that's like your, it's like that's your. That's my on the go snack. Yeah. Like your quick like, mm, I'm hungry, Sometimes but not so hungry. Sometimes one spoonful turns into four. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. It's a good source of protein. What we're saying is peanut butter is delicious, everyone, and that you should be eating it if you're not allergic. Yeah, if you're not allergic. Yeah. Asterisk, I guess. <laughs> 
So back to our man here. Um, so Carver never married. Um, at age 40, he began a courtship with Sarah L. Hunt, an elementary school teacher and the sister-in-law of the treasurer of the Tuskegee Institute. Um, this relationship lasted for three years until she took a teaching job in California. And it seems like he never really had another relationship that was like public after that. Um, so he advised Teddy Roosevelt, Calvin Coolidge, and FDR on agricultural concerns, and he testified before Congress in support of a peanut import tax. Um, the Crown Prince of Sweden traveled to the U.S. to study under Carver. Oh, my gosh. And Carver shared his agricultural and nutrition expertise with Mahatma Gandhi. Oh, my God. What? Yeah. <laughs> So his innovative mind also attracted the admiration and friendship of automotive pioneer Henry Ford. Uh, The two thinkers spent several years collaborating, looking for ways to turn plants into both power and military equipment. So they invented peanut rubber for cannons, and they made progress towards soybean and peanut substitutes for gasoline. Wow. Um, So they had a pretty good friendship, and Ford later had an elevator installed at the Tuskegee dormitory where Carver lived so that his elderly friend wouldn't have to climb the stairs every day. that's really sweet. Yeah. I mean, Ford... He was a real dress ball, but but sometimes he was was nice. He was very kind. Sometimes he was nice. Um, In the mid-1930s, when the polio virus was raging in America, Carver became convinced that peanuts were the answer. So he offered a treatment (laughs) of peanut oil massages and reported positive results, though no scientific evidence exists that how the treatments worked. So basically, um, the the benefits that the patients experienced from getting peanut oil massages were probably more of a likely related to the massage treatment and attentive care rather than like it being peanut oil. I mean, that that I feel would is a symptom of him buying into his own hype. Yeah. He's like, peanuts. They're the oh answer to everything. He created like like yeah, he invented like three hundred different ways to use peanuts and he actually like made his own a couple of different companies to sell a couple of different things. Oh, like wow. so he had one that did peanut oil. He had one that you know, maybe did peanut shampoo, like all over the place. Like just the the sheer amount of things that he mm-hmm. invented for that you could get from the peanut is it's very it's so creative and yeah, inventive. That's amazing. Um, by 1938, largely due to Carver's influence, peanuts had grown to be a $200 million per year crop in the U S and were the chief agricultural product grown in the state of Alabama. Wow. So like in just maybe a couple decades time, he completely switched how farmers were growing things yeah. and helped the economy and helped them with their livelihoods mm-hmm. and, you know, fix the soil and oh my gosh. Made, helped them to adapt from all the stuff that they were dealing with the, with the bull weevil. Yeah. And I, I read that there's, um, there's a place in Alabama that has a statue to the bull weevil. It's basically like a, it's basically like a, a female figure, like, you know, justice or liberty, whatever, holding up the bull weevil. <laughs> Because it's like, it, it's like, oh, well, cotton, you know, cotton used to be king here and then the bull weevil happened and then we were able to kind of like overcome it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really? That's very, very dramatic, dramatic stuff. <laughs> the humble bull So George Washington Carver, he passed away on January 5th, 1943 at Tuskegee Institute, and he was buried next to Booker T. Washington. Um, Carver had been frugal throughout his life, um, and in his 70s, he established a legacy by creating a museum of his work along with the George Washington Carver Foundation at Tuskegee to continue agricultural research. He donated about $60,000, so the equivalent these days to $1,067,000. Oh my gosh. Yeah, from his savings to create the foundation. On his grave was written, he could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. Oh, 
That's beautiful. Isn't he cute? That's so lovely. Charming. Oh, Julia's crying again. <laughs> so he died in January 1943. Okay. Okay. In on July 14th, 1943, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt dedicated $30,000 for the George Washington Carver National Monument, west southwest of Diamond, Missouri, the area where Carver had spent time in his childhood. So this was the first national monument dedicated to an African-American and the first to honor someone other than a president. Um, the 210-acre national monument complex includes a bust of Carver, a, um, a nature trail, a museum, um, the 1881 Moses Carver House, and the Carver Cemetery. Wow. So he died in January, and then in July, they they introduced this to oh, the yeah. National Monument. So I just want to like, <laughs> I just want to point out that he died the same year that this <laughs> thing happened, which is why I thought he was still alive. Yeah, exactly. But also, I mean, what a testament to his influence. Yeah, and how important he was that like nigh six months after he died, they were like, we need a monument <laughs> to this guy because he basically turned our economy yeah, around. And yeah, and. It's great that he was able to make all these contributions during his lifetime Absolutely. and be recognized for them during his lifetime. It wasn't yeah. just like, oh, yeah, by the way, the guy that did all this. Exactly. He wasn't toiling in anonymity. Right. He and was he, influential. He um, was a he was I mean, he was a great writer. He um, he wrote all those like farmers bulletins that yeah. were really that were really popular that helped a lot of people. He made sure to like educate people. He was ex mm. he was like really passionate about teaching to others and learning all the time. Yeah. So that he wasn't just um, he wasn't just advising like heads of state. He was also an educator yeah. on the ground kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. So that was that was just like some sh some quick and dirty. Quick and dirty quick about G.W. Carver. G.W. Carver. That's awesome. All right. So my quiz is called Peanut Butter Jelly Time. This is a quiz on classic Internet memes. Oh. Question one. In 2000, a surreal comedy web series created by the Brothers Chaps hit the internet. Along with characters like Strong Bad, Marzipan, and Coach Z, which titular character entertains fans with a mix of pop culture and self-parody in his Flash animated web series? Question two. In 1998, a Canadian art student created a GeoCities page with rows of animated dancing hamster gifs, naming the site Hampton's Hamster House in homage to her own small pet. Notably, she embedded a nine-second looped wave file of a sped-up sample of the song Whistle Stop, which millennials know today as the Hamster Dance song. Name me either the original singer of the song Whistle Stop or the Disney animated feature film for which it was written. Question three. Congratulations! The 1989 Japanese side-scrolling arcade game Zero Wing provided the foundation for an early 2000s internet meme. The discovery of poorly translated English from the game's opening cutscene, in which an alien cyborg captures some land, evolved into a techno dance track, flash videos, t-shirts, and recently, tweets featuring what phrase? Question four. I mean, I guess you can has cheeseburger. The original lolcat image macro used which font? Today, still very much the meme font of choice. Question five. Though only distantly related, members of the Mustelidae family have hit it big as a popular meme at least twice. First, in 2003, as an animated loop of creatures doing calisthenics with an occasional on-screen fungus, and again in 2011, as Nat Geo wild footage of this crazy nasty animal is dubbed with commentary by a flamboyant narrator. What animal name fits both of these memes? 
Question six. The first documented instance of this internet meme was in May 2007 on 4chan's video game board, where a link claiming to be the trailer for Grand Theft Auto 4 turned out to be a music video instead. What is the now common term for this bait and switch prank that uses a disguised hyperlink to instead show you a music video from 1987? Question seven. One does not simply X into X. This text, often superimposed over the face of actor Sean Bean, is an image macro that comes to us by way of which 2001 fantasy epic film? Question 8. You may not immediately recognize the name Gary Brolsma, but you have almost certainly watched him on your computer screen, lip-syncing to the song Dragostia Din Tai by the Moldovan group Ozone. This 2004 video was so pervasive, he was ranked number one in VH1's 40 Greatest Internet Superstars. By what title do you better know Brolsma's video? Question 9. Started in 2005, Post Secret is an ongoing community art project in which people voluntarily and anonymously mail their secrets to Frank Warren on a homemade postcard. This has resulted in a supremely popular website, museum exhibitions, and a series of books. I'm going to name four book titles, and you tell me if this is a real book published by the Post Secret guy or if I made it up. First, My Secret, a Post Secret book. Second, if you're a cat person, I automatically judge you and other true secrets. Third, confessions on life, death, and God. And fourth, most secret post secret. And finally, question 10. Described by the New York Times in 2010 as the nation's biggest viral drinking game, participants of this short-lived phenomenon would hide a bottle of a beverage, and when their intended target touched the bottle, they were required to take a knee and chug the entire drink. That person then had to keep the game going, hiding a bottle of what specific alcoholic beverage for their next mark. I'll give you about a minute to think, and we'll be back with your answers. Peanut butter sandwich made with jam One for me and one for David Amram A peanut butter sandwich made with jam Stick, stick, sticky, stick, stick I can think of which is good and bad But the best witch that I've ever had Was a peanut butter sandwich made with jam Yum, 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 yum Peanut butter sandwich made with jam One for me and one for David Amram A peanut butter sandwich made with jam Stick, 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 stick Yum, 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 yum I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember... I mean, I, I remember, uh-huh. I remember, you remember, but not enough to answer the questions. <laughs> great. I, okay. This is going to be fun. This is going to be great. I'm so excited. Yep. All right. Okay. Question one. Okay. In 2000, a surreal comedy web series created by the Brothers Chaps hit the internet. Along with characters like Strong Bad, Marzipan, and Coach Z, what titular character entertains fans with a mix of pop culture and self-parody in his Flash animated web series? That's Space Ghost. Is it Space Ghost Coast to Coast? It isn't Space Ghost. It isn't Space Ghost? No. What is it? Homestar Runner. Homestar Runner! Damn it! (laughs) (laughs) No! And you know what? I spent three questions of you reading that 
<laughs> trying to remember Space Ghost because all I could think of was Trash Ghost, uh, which is our which is our, our like default yeah. trivia name. Um, Space Ghost is a is a cartoon series. Yeah, it's a cartoon series on the, on the television now, as I, opposed to the internet. Yeah, no, I I know. There's I, also a bunch of games that they did on Homestar Runner too. Apparently, yeah. I yeah. mean, I remember Homestar Runner because in college, Homestar, Homestar Runner, Runner. Yeah, like I I knew I like I. I only hung out with boys. Yeah. I knew I was intimately connected with Homestar yes. Runner. Yep. If only because it was constantly playing in our dorm room. Yes. Yes. Um, in 2003, the site received several million hits a month and almost a thousand emails a day. And according to Matt Chapman, the site did no advertising but grew on word of mouth and endorsements. Um, two songs from Homestar Runner, Trogdor by the character Strong yes. Bad and Because It's Midnight by Limousine were included in the successful Guitar Hero 2 and Guitar Hero Encore Rocks the 80s video games. Trogdor, I remember distinctly. <laughs> I remember Trogdor. <laughs> Oh, boy. So here we go. So one down. Yep. Question two. In 1998, a Canadian art student created a GeoCities page with rows of animated dancing hamster gifts, naming the site Hampton's Hamster House in homage to her own small pet. Notably, she embedded a nine-second looped wave file of a sped-up sample of the song Whistle Stop, which millennials know today as the Hamster Dance Song, naming either the original singer of the song Whistle Stop or the Disney animated feature film for which it was written. So it was like do 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 um god I don't is it I don't know is it um god I'm trying to think I don't know who the original singer was I'm trying to think of the Disney was it one of those super old ones from 1973 oh it's from 1973 then I have absolutely no idea I don't know Dumbo what what is it. The singer of the original song is Roger Miller. Okay. He did King of the Road. That's probably what you know him from. Tailors for sale or rent. Rooms to let 50 cents. Da, 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 I da, do not da, know that song. I got no cigarettes in it. Come on. King of the Road. No. King of the Road. <laughs> I don't know. I don't what? know what this okay. song is. Well, anyway, okay. Roger Miller sings <laughs> Whistle Stop. Um, it was the... Um, it was written for the 1973 animated feature film Robin Hood for the opening oh, credits of the yes, film. Yes, yes. Now it's now it's connecting in my mind. Yeah, but it's a lot slower. Yes, as, yes, as, yes. <laughs> okay. So the popularity of um, of her website led to the creation of an entire song called the Hamster Dance Song, produced by the Boomtang Boys and released in July 2000. A cartoon video was produced for the single, which introduced a digital band of hamsters, first dubbed solely as Hampton the Hamster, and later as Hampton and the Hamsters. Okay, this song reached number one no. on the Canadian Singles no. Chart. Only in Canada. <laughs> oh, bless them. So you were listening to Canadian radio in I was, 2000. Yeah, yep. You don't remember hearing the Hamster Dance I song? Don't, I don't. I uh, <laughs> Maybe I've locked that out, but I don't remember that. Yeah. Question three. Congratulations. The 1989 Japanese side-scrolling arcade game Zero Wing provided the foundation for an early 2000s internet meme. The discovery of poorly translated English from the game's opening cutscene, in which an alien cyborg captures some land, evolved into a techno dance track, flash videos, t-shirts, and recently, tweets featuring what phrase? It's okay. It's all your something belong to us. Uh-huh. All your... Something are belong to us. Yes. Mm-hmm. All your 
all your, what is it? All your, it's not weapons. It's no. not all your base. All your base are you belong to it! us. That's it. Yes. Oh, thank God I got it. All so, your base are belong to us. So like a uh, funny anecdote about like with that. Cause so that, so that phrase got, you know, thrown mm-hmm. around the internet because it was like, Oh, it's so funny that it's yeah. poorly translated English. Um, on June 1st, 2006, YouTube was taken down temporarily for maintenance and the phrase, all your video are belong to us appeared below the YouTube logo as a placeholder while the site was down. And some users believed that the site had been hacked using YouTube to add the message. No, we haven't be hacked. Get sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. On January 19th, 2019, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted, all your base are belong to us in response to a poll that 45% of polled Republicans approved of Ocasio-Cortez's suggested implementation of a 70% marginal tax rate for individuals making over $10 million a year. That's very good. (laughs) Yes. She is very good at Twitter. (laughs) I mean, she's a millennial, but she's very good at Twitter, I will say question for i mean i guess you can has cheeseburger the original lol cat image macro used which font today still very much the meme font of choice i could not even begin to guess garamond i have no idea is it is it um comic sans no sorry it's impact oh (laughs) (laughs) oh i i'm sorry uh, I'm sorry. You're not no. a font nerd. No, I'm not a typeface aficionado. <laughs> <laughs> I know like Times New Roman, Calibri, Helvetica, uh. Garamond. I know like Papyrus. I know that's the Web new dings. common sense. <laughs> Webdings. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Kristen ITC. Oh, yeah. Um, so impact. Uh, the realist sans serif typeface was designed by Jeffrey Lee and released by the Stevenson Blake Foundry in 1965. Due to its thick strokes, compressed letter spacing, and overall high legibility, Impact initially gained traction on the web as a favorite choice of font style for headlines and titles by online publishers before it became known as the most widely used font for captions and image macros. There you go. Now you know if you have to make one yourself. Impact. Impact. Question five. Though only distantly related, members of the Mustelidae family have hit it big as a popular meme at least twice. First, in 2003, as an animated loop of creatures doing calisthenics with an occasional on-screen fungus, and again in 2011, as Nat Geo Wild video footage of this crazy, nasty animal is dubbed with commentary by a flamboyant narrator. Which animal name fits both of these memes? That's a honey badger. Or just badger. Or just a badger. Yeah. The okay. first one. Do you know the first one? I, I vaguely recall it. it badger was just, and mushroom. It was or just like badger, 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 mushroom, mushroom. Badger, 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 badger. A snake, a snake. Ooh, it's a snake. I don't remember this. Badger, 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 badger. It was just that. Just on a loop. That's all it was. Yep. How how have we survived as a species? This this is what we take. This is what becomes part of. A million years from now, there are going to be future aliens who are doing archaeological digs on our planet, mm-hmm. and they're going to find this stuff, and they're going to think, "Was this a god? Was this what E-bombs they thought?" World on archive.org. <laughs> they're going to be like, "Were they worshiping the badger? I don't understand." <laughs> and then that other one from 2011 was was obviously the crazy nasty ass honey badger. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that distinctly. Yeah. That went around. That went around a lot. 
Because that was like people were sharing that on like Facebook and stuff. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. Question six. The first documented instance of this internet meme was in May 2007 on 4chan's video game board where a link claiming to be the trailer for Grand Theft Auto 4 turned out to be a music video instead. What is the now common term for this bait and switch prank that used a disguised hyperlink to instead show you a music video from 1987? That is Rick Rolling. It is Rick Rolling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is Rick Astley with his 1987 song, Never Gonna Give You Up. Mm-hmm. Um, by May 2008, the practice had spread beyond 4chan and became an internet phenomenon, eventually attracting coverage in the mainstream media. An April 2008 poll by Survey USA estimated that at least 18 million American adults had been Rickrolled. <laughs> uh, again... How internet internet is such a uh, it's like it's just a distillation of our weirdest parts. <laughs> Question seven. One does not simply X into X. This text often superimposed over the face of actor Sean Bean is an image macro that comes to us by way of which 2001 fantasy epic film. Uh, that is one does not simply walk into Mordor mm-hmm. and that is Lord of the Rings. Full title. Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. Yes. Um, in the scene, the Council of Elrond reveals that an evil ring must be destroyed by being thrown into the fires of Mount Doom, the volcano deep in the territory of Mordor. Boromir promptly points out the difficulty of the task by saying, one does not simply walk into Mordor. Which is true. And people have really taken that and run. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Question eight. You may not immediately recognize the name Gary Brolsma, but you have almost certainly watched him on your computer screen, lip syncing to the song Dragostia Din Tai by the Moldovan group Ozone. This 2004 video was so pervasive, he was ranked number one in VH1's 40 Greatest Internet Superstars. By what title do you better know Brolsma's video? Is that Numa Numa? Yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, the Numa Numa dance. Um, a 2006 story in The Believer explored the song's spread and global homogenization, arguing that Brolsma's video, quote, single-handedly justifies the existence of webcams. Wow. It's a movie of someone who is having the time of his life, wants to share his joy with everyone, and doesn't care what anyone else thinks. It is a very joyful video. It's and, a very catchy song. And the song is so catchy. Maya <laughs> Maya. It's great. It's like perfect Euro trash disco stuff. Well, it's like, remember when we went to, um, we went to Dingus Day (gasps) Uh and they had that band and they played that disco song. Mama, 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 Maria, Mama, Mama. We sang that for months. Easily months. I I'm really sad that they didn't play your wedding. I think you must have told them to put it on the do not playlist. No, I didn't put it on the do not hit playlist. Actually, you know what? It didn't occur to me. You should have reminded me because I would have played it because it is that good. Oh, so good. They had a Polish, uh, like a duo, a couple of guys in like very silky suits. A good (laughs) standing keyboard. keyboard. Everyone sang along. It was great. That was good. We ate pierogies in the freezing cold. That was great. All right. Question nine. Started in 2005, post-secret ongoing community art project to which people voluntarily and anonymously mail their secrets to Frank Warren on a homemade postcard. I'm going to name four book titles and you tell me if this is a real book published by post-secret or if I made it up. Okay. Okay, ready? I'm ready. First, my secret, a post-secret book. I'm going to say real. That is real. It was published in 2005. Second, if you're a cat person, I automatically judge you and other true secrets. Uh, I'm going to say fake. That is fake. Yes. Although I did take that from one of the 
postcards that was mailed in. Oh, okay. So I didn't make that up. Yeah. Um, third, Confessions on Life, Death, and God. I do know that's real. That is real. Yeah. It was published in 2009. And last, Most Secret Post Secret. I'm going to say fake. That is fake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you worked at Schmarns and Blobel. I, I should did. have I known. I worked at Schmarns and Blobel. Um, so, uh, Frank Warren has stated that he also includes a secret of his own in each of the post-secret books, but his secret is not anonymous like most. Or rather, he uh, signs his. That's and finally, question 10. Described by the New York Times in 2010 as the nation's biggest viral drinking game, participants of this short-lived phenomenon would hide a bottle of a beverage, and when their intended target touched the bottle, they were required to take a knee and chug the entire drink. That person then had to keep the game going, hiding a bottle of what specific alcoholic beverage for their next mark? Is it Jägermeister? Nope. Okay. Uh, is it is is it a schnapps? No. No. Okay. Um, it's something super gross. Yeah. She's nodding at me. Okay. Um, what's the mint one? No. No, it's, it's not the mint one. Not a flavor. Oh, it's not a flavor. No. It's a it's a it's a beverage. It's a beverage you can walk into the to the beer store and buy. Do we have beer stores here? What state am I in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Colt 45 I don't know What is it Schmear off ice Oh schmear off ice Do you remember ice? Yes Icing people Yes This icing. was all over the internet In 2010 Oh my god Including on a website Called Bros Icing Bros Julia You I have just, opened up a door yeah. In my secret brain <laughs> Did you ever get iced No I was in grad school No I didn't get iced You were iced. too busy Writing papers uh, Yeah I was too busy Like studying and stuff But I did know people Who had been iced yeah. Because I had undergrad students Yeah And oh, people shit. would like Take pictures Or like post videos oh, yeah, about yeah. it um, So basically Everything I said in the question Is like the rules Of the game <laughs> But Fascinatingly Something called an ice block occurs when the icy is already carrying a bottle of Smirnoff ice. What? Or is in reach of one without taking a step. So if this happens, the icer must drop and chug both ices, the original presented ice and this new blocking ice. So then this meant that bros were just carrying Smirnoff ice with them wherever (laughs) they went. Because if they were going to get iced, then instead they could block it. And then the person that tried to ice them would have to drink both of them. Wow, I bet that was really good for Smirnoff Ice during that year. I think so. And they they came out and said like they didn't condone this. Or, yeah, okay. You know, whatever. But yeah, it, yeah really. Like if it you really. sell uh, six packs of Smirnoff, raspberry <laughs> Smirnoff Ice, finally, instead of it sitting like gathering yeah. dust on some convenience store oh, shelf. I bet Zima was super sad that they were, they like, were still not. <laughs> they weren't around when Take this was a, happening. They brought it back. I think they yeah. brought Zima back. Maybe in hopes that they could start another viral <laughs> challenge again. They were like... <laughs> We're rebooting Zima. We want to bring Zima back into the zeitgeist. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so there you go, Lauren. Thank There's you, Julia. Your quiz on classic internet. That really... That really uh, did a number on the old brain box for me. So um, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to send us a... Um, you should send us some listener-submitted trivia because we haven't yeah, had hey. listener-submitted trivia in a while. Uh, you can email us at missinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at missinfopod. Uh, again, remember, there's only 280 characters involved. Um, and <laughs> So maybe email us if it's longer. I don't know. I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, you can also write on our Facebook page, misinformation colon a trivia podcast. Uh, and you can also visit us at our website, triple dub dot missinfopod.com. 
Um, please tell a friend and oh, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. And yes. thank you so much to everybody that's done that so far. It's been really fun to Absolutely. kind of see your feedback. And it's nice to know that so many of you spend your Tuesdays with us. Like, uh, like people are like, Tuesday is my favorite day because this podcast comes out. So that's kind. super That's super nice. That's so nice. Um, yeah. So we're on, if you want to tell a friend, we're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, you know, all those all those good places. Yep. Um, you can also find us in Las Vegas. Yeah, uh, when we go to Geek Bowl. Yes. So if you're going to be in Las Vegas also for Geek Bowl and you want to like hang out and we could like grab a drink and chat and make fun of things together yeah. and I don't know. Come look for us. We're definitely going to I think we're going to try and organize some sort of like hangout time with Triviality and or Trivia Warfare. Yeah. Um, we're going to go to the Trivial Warfare event on the Friday of Geek Bowl weekend. Um, yep. So that'll be a lot of fun to, to meet a lot of you guys there because we know a lot of you have actually learned about us through Trivial Warfare and we're so excited to um, to meet Jonathan and Carmella and, and Chris and Ben in person. It'll, yeah. be, it'll be really exciting. So we'll be there. We'll probably be wearing our pink shirts. Oh yeah. We'll Come and say hello to us. Um, and then we're going to try and figure out a time for us to like hang out with the triviality guys yeah and we're gonna grab a burger with them for yes um but it would be cool to like have a meetup with them yeah. or something so even if it's just like we grab a drink somewhere in the same place and exactly can, and then you guys can come in and out and, and chat and stuff so um, yeah we'll figure something out and we'll let you know yeah we'll definitely be on the social meds yeah on the on the old social meds uh on those aforementioned places that you can see our thoughts and and words um, keep an eye out and we will uh, have more details then. Yeah. All right. Great. Awesome. So yeah, thanks for listening this time, guys. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. A peanut butter sandwich made with jam. One for me and one for David Amram. A peanut butter sandwich. I will say, I'm going to take a quick, quick side note because we did get um, a, not necessarily a correction, are you going to talk about burning human flesh? Yes. I don't want to talk about burning well, human flesh. Well, we're not going to talk about it. I'm just going to say, like, we had someone email us and be like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do the poll. Or maybe I won't. Maybe I won't. It's not I think you could just deal. leave it out. Yeah, I'll leave it out. Because <laughs> we did get someone tweeted us and be like, where's our poll? And I was like, actually, yeah. we had an email Upon from somebody. Upon review, <laughs> people review. think that it's not appropriate to... Um, <laughs> To talk, talk about, about the, whether or not the smell of human flesh Although, would be delicious. I remember it, when I took my Vietnam War class in college um, and they were talking about like the awful couple that was in charge of everything and her name escapes me right now. So like the wife was like just as bad as like the husband despot and there were monks that were like basically self-immolating oh, to like do God. the protest and she said something like, oh, I love the smell of, of burning monks in the morning ah! or something. Like barbecuing monks. That's what she said. Like, Oh shit! Oh, we're having barbecued monk later. Like yes. that kind of bullshit. Wait a second. Wait a second. We talked about this, or like we, yes, absolutely. This has been something that we have had a conversation about, which so, is fucked up great. of us. But I mean, whatever. Um, no, you know what? And I was thinking about it after we got that email. I was like, that is probably like a biological thing, so that we don't eat each other. You know, yeah. like deep down in our DNA, yeah. like, oh no, that smells disgusting. That's the worst smell in the world. <laughs> Not, mmm, yeah. Because then the next thought is, maybe I'm going to grab myself a little hunk of that, put some ketchup on it. You know, I'm not saying that that's what it is. It's a terrible smell. Anyway. Yum, 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 yum.